0: Thirty-one, Psalm thirty-one. I'm going to read it uh, here. The 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 get goes twenty-four chapter uh, verses, but it's worth us uh, reading together before we kind of jump in and get started. So uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll we'll read Psalm thirty-one together. Father, we are grateful for this day that you've given us. Every day is a gift from you, and we rejoice and we're glad in it. And we come to this moment, Lord, asking you for wisdom and strength. Uh, As we study your word, open the eyes of our hearts that we may see the truths of Scripture and respond to what you teach us, Father. We'll thank you for that. May Jesus be exalted tonight. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Psalm 31, notice it says, to the choir master. Some of the older translations say, to the chief musician. A Psalm of David. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. You have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness! which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Wonderful, powerful psalm. And in your handout or on your handout, you see the quote I share every week from Dr. Easley, which reminds us of the overall theme of the book of Psalms. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving, and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And John Piper uh, responds to the reality that the book of Psalms is in actuality a collection of Hebrew hymns. And he writes, the Psalms are songs, they are poems, they are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions Not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. That's why the church loves the Psalms so much, because we connect with the Psalms on an emotional level. And if there is a theme, and there is, to the 31st Psalm, I would say the theme is God is our rock of refuge. And I want to kind of even get more specific in just a moment regarding that. But we need to understand that God is the one that we run to for safety. He's the one we run to for eternal safety, that if we want to know that our sins are forgiven and we will uh, go to heaven when we die and not pay the penalty for our sin, that we run to him through his son, Jesus Christ. He's, He's the one that gives us eternal safety. He's our rock of refuge. But he's also the one we run to as we live this life and we find ourselves encountering different trials and tribulations and hardships and difficult people, when we find ourselves in a tough situation, we run to him. He is our our rock of refuge here in this life. So if you look there, the theme of this psalm, theme of this psalm, God is a rock and we should take refuge in him. That's the overall theme of this psalm. Now, the idea of God being a rock, God being our refuge, was a popular metaphor with David. You see that he uses this metaphor in Psalm 18, Psalm 19, Psalm 28, Psalm 61, Psalm 62, Psalm 71. Uh, this is a a constant uh, picture that... David uses to communicate some things about God, and what he's uh, communicating about God is this. God is the one you run to for safety. He's the one you run to for uh, refuge. Uh, Growing up, uh, one of the first games you learn to play in the schoolyard is the game of tag. If you tag somebody, that person is it, but if you make it to home base then you can't be tagged, right? You're safe if you make it to home base. That's the idea that David is speaking of here, that God is, he's the safe place. He's the protector. He's the refuge, the rock for our lives. And, And David loves that picture and uses it often throughout the scriptures. Now, you know a little bit of David's background. For years, he found himself fleeing from King Saul and his army. You know, King Saul was... Uh, insanely jealous and wanted to kill David. And so David, with his band of uh, warriors that came together over time, was often uh, running from King Saul. And David's army, uh, his kind of ragtag army, wasn't equipped at the level to defeat Saul's army. They couldn't just meet them on the field of battle and win. There's no way that would happen. And so David would retreat into the wilderness, and he'd, he'd retreat into the high rocky terrain, and he would hide in the rocks of the wilderness. I've I've been to En Gedi in um, Israel, and you see those rocks, and you kind of picture what it would be like for for David to 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 flee into those rocks and hide and to take um, shelter. And so this is the idea that David is using here in a spiritual sense. He had experienced a rock of refuge in a physical sense when he would go into the rocky wilderness terrain. But here he's using it in a spiritual sense that God is the one that we can find our protection and safety in if we will but go to him with the trials of life. Dale Ralph Davis says it like this, The Lord can be trusted to preserve his servants through many dangers, toils, and snares, and disasters, troubles, fears, and aggravations and assaults. (laughs) So all that, all the things we encounter in life, the Lord can be trusted to preserve us, to to keep us safe, to to be our refuge, our rocks. That's the theme of this psalm. But just a quick word about the purpose of this psalm. Notice it says there in verse 31, right right before verse 1, chapter 31, it says, To the choir master, to the chief musician— Um, The idea of this psalm is this. We should petition and praise our rock in the midst of troubles. If God is a safe place, if God is a sure refuge to whom we can run, then we should praise him for this, and we should certainly go to him when we find ourselves in trouble. Hey, quick question. Quick question. Where does your instinct lead you when you find yourself in difficulty? If your instinct doesn't lead you immediately to the Lord as your refuge, then you need to understand what's going on in this psalm. The purpose of the psalm is to petition and praise our rock in the midst of our troubles. It's like David saying, go to him, go to him, go to the Lord. Go build your life on the rock. Find your safety, your refuge in him. It's also interesting that this psalm is often classified as a lament. Uh, David is lamenting here about the, the troubles in his life. And isn't it interesting that a psalm about how hard life is was to be used in corporate worship? It's like, the people of God were being just very real in their gathering. You know, a lot of times we get together on Sundays and you know, we put it on our smiling faces and we put on our church clothes and we, you know, we shake hands and hug necks and we sit by each other and we go to class and we drink our coffee and, you know, we're doing our Sunday stuff. And someone says, you know, how you doing? Good. I'm good. I'm fine. That's good. And if we're honest, a lot of times we're not good right? Times are hard. And this psalm was actually meant to be sung about how hard life is. That's the the purpose of this psalm, to say, hey, let's get real. Life is hard. Dangers, toils, snares, fears, aggravations, assaults, life is hard, so you better learn to run to the rock. That's what this psalm is about. Now, Let's talk about the popularity of this psalm. Uh the phrase in verse 13 where it says um I hear the whispering of many terror on every side. David feels surrounded by trouble. That uh phrase uh, was borrowed by Jeremiah the prophet. He used it six times in his writings, Jeremiah 6, 25, 20, 3 and 4, Jeremiah 10, and verse 10, Jeremiah 46, 5, Jeremiah 49, 29, and he used it over in Lamentations two twenty-two. So this idea of terror on every side is a phrase that Jeremiah borrowed in his prophetic writings. This psalm was well known. In his prayer of repentance from inside the great fish, you know, Jonah ran from God. He was swallowed by a great fish that God appointed. When he finds himself in the fish, he's thinking, okay, I need to get right with God. And by the way, if you were in the belly of a great fish, you would have had the same thought. It's time to get serious about my relationship with God, right? And in the belly of the fish, Jonah, this prophet running from God, quoted Uh, the phrase, those who cling to worthless idols, which is found there in verse 6, or those who regard worthless idols. And he quotes it in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. Again, borrowing the language of this psalm, indicating this was a a well-known psalm among the people of Israel. But the most striking of all, the most striking of all is found in verse 5. Look what it says in verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Jesus himself used that phrase as his last words before he died on the cross. You can find that over in Luke 23, verse 46. Jesus uses this phraseology. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He he lifts the idea from Psalm 31 as if to say, God, I'm about to breathe my last. I entrust my life to you. This this psalm provided those very important words that Jesus used on the cross. So we can we can glean from all of that this was a popular psalm. It was a psalm that was used much in the uh, nation of Israel and in their worship. So let me give you just quickly tonight four reasons that we should take refuge in the Lord. Four reasons we should take refuge in the Lord. I'm going I'm going to kind of kind of try to do what David's doing in this psalm. I'm going to try to just encourage you to go to the Lord with with, with your life and, uh, and give you four reasons to encourage you in that. First of all, he answers our prayers. Why should you go to the Lord? Because he hears us. He answers our prayers. Look what it says in verses 1 and 2. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. I love verse 2. Incline or turn your ear to me rescue me speedily, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. David displays confidence here that when he prays, God would respond. He just believes that if he calls out to God, his God, he says later in the psalm, God, you are my God. He believes that God will incline, God will turn his ear to uh, listen. Uh, This reminded me of of my my kids when they were little I confess that there were moments when my kids were little and they were babbling about something that I wasn't giving them my full attention. I don't know if you parents or grandparents have ever been guilty of that but you know I'm uh-huh uh-huh, uh-huh. and I remember my daughter one time she she grabbed my face and turned my face because she wanted my undivided attention. Well what David is saying here is this when I cry out to God, I don't have to grab his face and turn it towards me. Part of who God is is he's a God who hears when we pray. He, he turns his ear to listen to you. David displayed confidence that when he prayed, God would respond. And you and I, we need to pray with this same confidence. Isn't it amazing? Now think about it. When little old me or little old you, when we Cry out to the God of the universe, the God who spoke everything into existence. He turns his ear to listen. Is that not amazing? It's amazing. And David's saying, that's who God is. And so he says, Lord, I take refuge in you because you're one who hears me when I pray. I believe that because I'm saying, incline your ear, rescue me speedily, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. David believed that God heard him when he prayed. And we need to have that same confidence in our prayers that God is listening. It is a really amazing thought. And I believe it's a thought that if we pondered more, it would spur us on to pray more, wouldn't it? Praying is not just religious ritual where you're just kind of going through the motions of doing something, you know, you're supposed to do. Prayer is talking to God and believing that God hears you when you pray. So he answers our prayers. You ought to run to him. Okay. You can ask me for things. I'll try to help you out, but I'm not going to 100% of the time going to come through. God does. Amen. Number two, he is able to handle our lives. He's able to handle our Lives, look what um, he says there in well let me get this quote from Charles Spurgeon first about he's able to handle our lives. David walks through some things he's going through, and Spurgeon says this, "The avowal of our reliance upon God in times of adversity is a principal method of glorifying Him. So as David goes through the, the stuff he's dealing with and how he can trust God with that stuff, he's in effect glorifying God. That's what he's doing here. And when we think about our own lives and our own stuff, and we all got stuff, can I get a witness? When we think about our own stuff and we think about how God helps us with that stuff. When, we, when we're when we keeping like mental notes of that, we're glorifying God. We're recognizing that he is our rock of refuge. So let me just show you some of these. God guides. Look in verse 3. You are my rock and my fortress for your name's sake, for, for the fame of your great name, your glory, You lead me and guide me. He trusted God to guide him uh, along the the, the way, to, to lead him in the right direction. God guides, and I hope that you trust God as your guide. I hope that when you have a decision to make, I hope that you talk to the Lord about it. Certainly, the Bible talks about wise counsel, gathering information, but but go to the Lord and take it to the Lord because God will guide you. One of the major leadership mistakes that Joshua made as the leader of the nation of Israel is was made when he didn't ask God about it. He just made his own decision and didn't ask God and it got him into some trouble. So God guides. Secondly, God protects. Look in verse 4. You take me out of the net, they have hidden from me, for you are my refuge. In other words, the 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 enemies of David had put out traps for him. He uses the idea of a net. They're trying to catch catch me in their net of wickedness. But God, you are one who even takes me out of the net. You you rescue me, you protect me from their evil. And You know, just a reminder, and I say this all the time because it's a constant theme for the Psalms, just a reminder, if you are a child of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. It's an astounding thought. God protects. Number three, God rescues. God rescues. Similar idea. Look in verse 11. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach especially to my neighbors an object of dread to my acquaintances those who see me in the street flee from me in other words the whole world had turned against david and and because of the the king's um uh desire to destroy david it it became an unpopular thing to hang around david see what i'm saying and no one wanted to be around david and david recognizes this that that I, i'm i'm isolated in a sense he says there in verse 12, I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many. Terror on every side is a scheme together against me, as a plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Which, by the way, just kind of aside, that's a good thing to say every so often. God, you are my God. And he says, my times are in your hand. Rescue me. Notice that. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servants. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to shale, the place of the dead. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. So rescue me from the evil, God. Help them to experience the... The, the repercussions of their evil and, and rescue me because I'm trying to be righteous. And David trusted God to rescue him from his enemies. That's why you ought to run to God. He, he answers prayer. He, he, uh, he delivers or he protects. He rescues. Third, he sustains. He sustains. He guides and he sustains. Look at verse 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. In other words, David is saying here, if you find yourself in a predicament, if you find yourself going through hard times, wait on the Lord. Trust the Lord. Make him your rock, and you will experience strength. You will experience courage as you wait for the Lord. Derek Kidner, Old Testament scholar, says this the phrase, let your heart take courage, could equally be translated, he shall strengthen your heart. The latter seems the more meaningful and assurance of help to those who dare to count on it rather than a double exhortation. But in either case, it does not promise an end to trouble, rather the strength to meet it. That's what Kidner's saying there. That, That when you say God is my refuge, it doesn't mean all your troubles go away. It means that God is your refuge in the midst of those troubles. And that is very, very important. And so, why should we take our refuge in the Lord? He answers our prayers. He's able to handle our lives. Number three... He loves us enough to discipline us. There's some interesting verses here we need to deal with. And, and I, what I want to do is I want to just give you kind of a brief theology of suffering. We talked about Job a couple of weeks ago in my Bible study. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about suffering and some thoughts we need to have related to suffering. Because look what it says there in verse 9. "'Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes wasted from grief, my soul and my body also.'" For my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity. And even says, my bones waste away. Now, for a large part of the psalm, David is saying, "Lord, there's evil all around me, evil all around me. But in these verses David says, "There is evil within me." And, and, and David connects his sin, his iniquity, to some of the hardship he's going through. He even talks about his bones wasting away, maybe even physical, uh, physical consequences for his sin. And so let me just give you just a few just quick thoughts to hang your, your mind on related to suffering. First of all, you need to understand this. All suffering is not caused by our sin. All suffering is not caused by our sin. There is a category for unexplained suffering. That's the point of the book of Job, right? We know the backstory from Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2. We know what's going on, and God allowed Satan to afflict him in order to demonstrate through Job's life that you can lose everything and still stay faithful to God. And so that's, that's the backstory. As far as we can tell, Job has Job never told the backstory. God never explains that to him, right? But Job is suffering nonetheless. And his friends come up, his three friends, and they say, Job, what'd you do wrong? I mean, you lost your family, you lost your health, you lost your livelihood, you lost your reputation. What'd you do wrong? Certainly you did something wrong. And Job's saying, guys, as far as I can tell, there's no gross, uh, unaddressed sin in my life. I'm just trying to be righteous and live for the Lord. And they said, no, 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 Job. No, no, no. If you're suffering, you did something wrong. Because in the theology of the three friends, they had no category for unexplained suffering. But you you not need to understand, there is a such thing of unexplained suffering. We go through something hard, we live in a fallen world, and we don't understand it. We may not understand it this side of heaven. But there is suffering that comes, and it's not necessarily because of your sin. A good example of this is John chapter 9. Jesus is walking along with the disciples, they see a man blind from birth, and the disciples had the same bad theology as Job's friends. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's blind? In other words, if he's blind, he did something wrong, or his parents did something wrong, and Jesus knows for the glory of God, and Jesus heals him and shows the purpose for that man's Life. But again, the the idea there was if someone is suffering, they have blown it. So there we need to understand that all suffering is not caused by our sin. There is a such thing as unexplained suffering because we live ultimately in a fallen world. But some suffering can be because of sin. Some suffering can be because of sin. The Bible call if you're a child of God, the Bible calls this. Discipline. Discipline. Not punishment, but discipline. Your sins were punished when Jesus took your sin on himself on the cross. God poured out the punishment your sin deserves, and Jesus took that punishment in our place. But when we become God's children, we embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior, then God as our Father will discipline us because he loves us. And and discipline from God for his children has the same effect of a loving parent disciplining their child. We discipline because we want to help them avoid doing the wrong thing and encourage them to do the right thing because we know the wrong thing will get them get him into all sorts of trouble, right? And and David just mentions here quickly, but he mentions here, I think some of what I'm going through is related to my physical ailments, particularly are related to my iniquity. He connects here God's discipline um, for his sin. And it's almost like David's saying, okay, you got my attention. You got my attention, God. I want to deal with the iniquity within me. Now, here's what I believe about discipline. Let me give you just two quick statements. And we'll move on. And this could be a seven-part lesson. But let me just give you quickly. If God is disciplining us for a sin issue, If he is, as a loving Heavenly Father, intervening in our life, trying to get our attention, which is the purpose of discipline, I believe the Spirit of God who lives in us will point out the sin issue. So over in the Gospel of John, Jesus says one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict. To convict. That's what what he does. And so if God is trying to get your attention for a sin that needs to be dealt with, a sin that you need to stop doing and get back on the right path, I believe you'll know it's discipline. You won't have to wonder because the Spirit of God will convict you of that sin so you'll you'll deal with it. I I tell people, and I say this all the time, uh, one of the ways I know I'm a Christian is because I can't get away with anything because the Spirit lives in me. And when I blow it, and I do blow it, when I blow it, when I sin, immediately the Spirit of God puts his finger on that place in my life, so I'll deal with it and get right um, with him. The Spirit of God, that's what he convicts. There have been times, uh, particularly in my last church, we had three morning services, and so I would leave early in the morning, and and Claire, bless her heart for years, would get all the kids ready and bring them to church You know, by herself. She had that responsibility on her. Um, but there are times if I, you know, I said a cross word to Claire or you know, acted acted ugly towards her, I'd have to call her on my way to church, and say, Claire, I'm sorry. I should not have talked to you like that or said that. I didn't get right because I knew I was about to preach preach, right? I didn't want that stuff on my heart. And and the spirit was just convicting me, convicting me of that sin. And so if God is disciplining us for a sin issue, I don't think you're gonna be wondering the spirit will point out the sin issue. And all suffering that God causes or allows, even related to discipline, is for your good and his glory. He's going to somehow use it for good in your life. Discipline, of course, to get your attention and to get you back on the right path. Or let me say it like this. God loves you too much to leave you alone. If God leaves you alone, that's trouble. You don't want God to leave you alone. God continues his gracious working in our lives to to help us stay on the right path. And I'm so grateful for that. And so he loves us enough to discipline us. So you ought to run to him. You can trust him even when you're going down the wrong path to to lovingly get your attention, get you back on the right path. Uh, Who else is going to do that for you other than the Lord? You ought to run to him as your refuge. And then number four, very quickly, why should... We take refuge in the Lord. He answers our prayers. He's able to handle our lives. He loves us enough to discipline us. And fourth, he is storing some things up. He is storing some things up. So let me, let me show you at the end of this psalm two things God is storing up. Number one, God is storing up abundant goodness for those who fear him. Look in verse 19. Oh, how abundant. The, the word there carries with it the idea of overflow. How abundant is your goodness. I love this next uh, phrase. Which you have stored up for those who fear you. And worked for those, watch this, who take refuge in you. So if you have taken refuge in the Lord, if you've gone to build your life upon Him and find your comfort and strength and salvation and protection in Him, the Bible says Something God is doing on your behalf is he is storing up abundant goodness, which he will ostensibly pour out on you. Now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? God is storing up goodness. And I say this with reverence. God is a hoarder of goodness. Now, I'm not talking about like the other kind of hoarder. I'm talking about he's hoarding up goodness for you. He's, he's, he's hoarding it up so he can pour it out upon you. He's storing it up for you. And, and, and just when you need a touch of his goodness, he will pour it out on you because he loves you, because you have chosen to make him your refuge. It reminds me of the last verse in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will, what? Follow me all the days of my life. And so if you make God your refuge, if you run to Him as your Savior, if you run to Him when you have trouble in your life, if you fear Him, you can know based upon the promise of Scripture that God is just storing up goodness upon goodness upon goodness that He intends to pour out upon you in your life. Isn't that good news? Who else is going to do that for you? Only God. But the opposite is also true. There's more abundance that God is storing up. Look what it says there in verse 23. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful. Good news. Those that know him, walk with him, love him. But abundantly, same word he used in verse 19 to speak of goodness, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. In the context, he's speaking one who doesn't make God his refuge. A person that does not run to the Lord, that's trying to live life by their own devices, their own wisdom, their own strength, their own way, their own will. They're just living apart from the Lord, apart from a relationship with the Lord. And this verse says that God abundantly, to overflowing, repays the one who lives with this kind of pride. And so the question becomes this. is a pretty simple question. Do you want God's abundant goodness? Or do you want God's abundant wrath? It's as simple as that. For those that know him in a personal way through Jesus Christ, personal uh, or uh, abundant goodness. Those who reject the Lord, and live life their own will, their own way, stay far from God, they can expect abundant punishment, which is a scary prospect. So you ought to run to him as your refuge because he is storing up good for those who do. And so Psalm 31 is a wonderful reminder that God is our refuge. He's our eternal refuge. He saves us from our sin. And he is our daily refuge, the one who protects us and guides us and watches over us and pours goodness upon us. You ought to run to the Lord, our rock of refuge. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.